This is Philip Millman, and we apologize for some of the audio issues with this particular episode. You will hear us talk over each other, and there was nothing we could do to parse that out. Sorry, and enjoy the show. Take three. Today is April 6th, 2020. Welcome to the Generic Board Game Podcast, all the board gaming content you could possibly want at a fraction of the price. I am your American host, Philip Millman. And I'm your European host, Victor from Navecon, or Vic from Navecon, or Victor Gannon, depends on who you want to call me or who's looking for me. Um, We've something a little bit special this evening, haven't we? We got a second special guest. In fact, this time, not, not only do we have one guest, but we have two guests both from the Washington, D.C. area, which is where I currently abide. And we'd like to introduce them. Um, they are, these are probably two of the hardest working people in the video content production uh, ar- uh, arena and tabletop gaming that I've seen in a long time. Um, we have with us the purveyors of Quackalope, and that's with a CK. Uh, Jesse and Jan, welcome to our show. Thank you for having us. Hello, hello. Uh, special is a little bit of a stretch, and hardest working would be correct if you're defining Jan, certainly not myself. Well, hey, I, I thought that was the other way around, and hi, everybody. <laughs> oh, sorry, am I getting that wrong? We haven't had that many guests, so you yeah. guys are the hardest working so far. Oh, so, I appreciate so. that. I'm already being seduced by your voice, by the way. It's lovely. Yeah, that, that's okay. We'll, we'll talk offline. Yeah. You know, it's, <laughs> you know it's, bo- it's legal both in the United States and in Ireland, so it's all good. I got introduced to Jesse at uh, our favorite local game store, uh, Labyrinth. And I've played games with Jesse. and The place has, I fell in love with board games. Yes, it's a, it's a great place. And it was one that made me go back to local game stores because the one by me up here is just terrible. And since then, uh, Jesse and I have uh, recorded some videos together. One as my alter ego, the two-time baseball, the two-time world champion of Baseball Highlights 2045. And then a classic more- video. It. It's a good intro into that joke series. Yes. Wait, wait, wait. I'm confused. That's your alter ego? I thought that was just you. Shh. <laughs> that's, that's not for public consumption. The other one with his actual alter ego, which is <laughs> Philip himself, which would be the uh, full review and gameplay of PAX Premier, which is another yeah. uh, fantastic game. And, and so uh, I've really enjoyed working with Jesse and uh, Jesse has been uh, and Jan have been putting out just a tremendous amount of content. And the, and the thing that I happen to like the most about your particular video is the right for you, wrong for you. Because I don't think enough video content providers in the board gaming industry do that. They just say, all right, here's a playthrough. And then they'll say, we like it or we don't like it. Well, that's great. I'm, I'm really happy, Tom, that you really hate this game or you really like this game. Um, and, and I've come to learn that Tom Bassel and I do not share the same tastes in gaming. But if someone had said to me, look, this is not a game I like because of these things, but if you like those things, you will like this game. And as what I like to say on more than one occasion, if you listen to this podcast, is, is board games are like books. There mm-hmm. is a book for everyone. There is an author for everyone. And there's a board game for everyone. And, and, I, and I truly believe that. And not everybody's going to be a heavy gamer. Not everybody is going to be a stab, you know, stab you in the back, lying trader type like Vic. Everybody has a different. <laughs> I've heard that about him. I have. 
<laughs> most uh, people have. How, how does this happen? <laughs> and uh, by the way, most gamers are quite heavy, but neither here nor there. <laughs> yeah, and it's all lies. You can trust me in a game. I have your back. It might have a knife in your back. That's, but I, have I mean, yeah. I'm going to rewind this by about 30 seconds. That's certainly not what I've heard. Uh, whatever the case, I mean, the whole concept around the, the right for you, wrong for you is exactly that, Philip. It's, it's the idea that games that I like, everyone else doesn't have to like. I mean, I fell in love with the hobby with, with titles like Madara and Gloomhaven and Kingdom Death, which are wrong for 80% of the people that play them. Um, but then the other half of it is I also fell in love with the community by watching people like uh, Shut Up and Sit Down, who mm. don't typically share my taste in games either. I love their videos and they make me fall in love with every game they love, but they're typically not the games that I table as often or as much. Um, so we're, we're, we were trying to figure out a longer form of content without having to give a, a gold seal to a specific game. And, and, and look, I, that makes a, a ton of sense. So why don't we start? Uh, Jan, we'll start with you. Just why don't you give us a little bit of your background, what, what, what you do, maybe a little bit about where you're from. And I mean, obviously you say you're, from, you're, you're Puerto Rican. And then, and then Jesse, why don't you give yours after, after Jan's finished? Sure. I'd love to. So first of all, sorry for the uh, quality of my microphone. I'll try and be my best to be as clear as possible. We have so. standards, but they're not that high. Exactly. We have standards, but they change regularly. <laughs> what, what is this word standards? I'm still trying to figure that out. <laughs> I, I never learned that in English, actually. I only know Spanish, most Spanish. Um, so, hi, I'm Jan. I'm Puerto Rican, as Phil said. Um, my background is actually a little bit all over the place. I started in the realm of design, um, I studied architecture initially, later moved into business development, and then finally, uh, ended up again in design, but as a graphic, as an art director at one of the local companies here in Washington, D.C. In terms of board games, um, I think I was introduced to it when I wanted to look for a venue where I could have higher interaction and more face-to-face -face interaction with my friends coming from Puerto Rico. And just like the general culture of at least my friend groups, we were very, very focused on digital mediums and video games and all this stuff. And I just, I kind of missed the idea of being able to converse and see someone from across a table or just in my general space. So I ended up being kind of like the connoisseur of board games at my, uh, at my hometown. And from then on, it just kind of evolved into this, uh, I don't want to use this word, but I think it's the most appropriate, obsession. <laughs> and that's where we are today. And then his obsession sort of stretched over to, uh, to me which is where I come into the picture, right, Jan? No, no, no. I think you're obsessed with me based on multiple interactions. Uh, okay, we'll, I, we'll figure sure. it out. I am, uh, I'm, I'm Jesse Anderson. Uh, I, I run Quackalope. Um, Jan's my, my co-host and partner in, in all things Scheme Duck. Uh, I grew up playing a lot of games um, primarily with my grandparents and kind of immediate family. So Catan, Ticket to Ride were some classics that, that came into the household early. Um, Head and Foot, which is a card game that uses a massive pile of cards, and Spoons were early banned uh, during the holiday season. And, and then I sort of transferred away from, from games in general. I mean, I, I always played a lot of video games. I think most kids growing up in my generation did. Um, it was sort of a cornerstone of, of, of my youth. But a lot of life events and things shifting and changing kind of pulled me out of the board game scene. And I never, I never really was aware of things like Zombicide or, or Gloomhaven or the Kickstarter market until probably a couple years ago. 
Um, I think it's probably been about three years or so now since I discovered Labyrinth. Labyrinth Games and Puzzles in Washington, D.C. is the first time I discovered the world of board games as they stand now. I uh, had moved to a new city. I wasn't connecting with anything really outside of my work, didn't really have any friends. I've always been a photographer and videographer, so my work is either primarily at home uh, or out at an event where you don't really make social connections. You you know, you really bring everything back home and edit it for hours in front of your computer. And I found a D&D one-shot session hosted by a game store in Washington, D.C. because I was looking for things to do online. And I, I think I'd started listening to Critical Role because I was, I was obsessively consuming podcasts at the time because I was driving so much. And so I knew about D&D. I had a faint idea of what it was. And I found a game store that was hosting a one-shot event. And I showed up. Uh, and I played, and I had a fantastic time. And then there were walls and walls of games. And then I started Googling for games that could do things like D&D did without a DM. And then I started DMing two of my own sessions and found something called Kingdom Death and quickly became, uh, as Jan used the term, obsessed with this hobby as well. But then not only, uh, not only just obsessed, but also um, inspired and grateful for the community that's around. My entire social circle now is built around the board game space. Um, it is the best and most diverse and most interesting mix of people that I've ever been able to come across. Um, I, I, I think thing. that's great. Um, and look, I, I think uh, uh, Kathleen uh, Donahue, who uh, runs Labyrinth, and hopefully she survives well through this, uh, government, you know, through the shutdown, right, basically, uh, because of the yeah. coronavirus. I hope she does well, but no, she created a great space for people to to play games, and, and in fact, that's one of the places. That, nope, that's behind me. You were worried about a dog, Jan. I got, I got people things I think dropping. It's a it, it possibly could be, um, but no, I, I agree. It's it's a great place. Now, uh, Jan, how did you get started into board gaming? Well, <laughs> it's it's a little bit crazy. I I I think that most of the big changes in my life have happened. Um, kind of, uh, what's the, what's the term here? Serendipity almost. It's, it's been kind of like an amalgamation of just different circumstances and me just being open to the opportunity. So uh, once I moved from Puerto Rico back here into DC, here into DC, uh, I started looking for things to do very similar to Jesse. I fell in love with labyrinth after I had some difficulties kind of like fitting, fitting here and finding my place within the district. A little bit after that, I started looking for some challenges and started looking for maybe something I could do to express myself creatively. I, I know it sounds weird, me being a, so, a AKA art director, but I, what I do specifically in my company is not really that, that creative in that sense. I get to play around with ideas and help others kind of find a solution, but me personally, I don't get to create as often. And when, when I was a kid, I used to be the uh, Casanova of the school and I would make poems for everybody and I would be writing all the time. And I, I remember that passion long ago, like, oh, wow, I really miss writing. I wonder what I can do to write, what, what, what space I can find where I can tie things I like with this concept of writing. Um, and I started thinking, hey, what if, what if I combine board games and writing? <gasps> what a far-fetched idea. And so from that point, trying to find venues. And coincidentally, this person in Reddit goes like, hey, um, do you happen to write content or do, are you into board games at all? And apparently they were a part of a website 
that uh, gave me the first, the very first opportunity to dive into um, actually covering games in a professional level. And from there, and this is the funniest thing, I started trying to figure out how to expand that particular website or its board gaming sphere. And I stumbled onto Quackalope's content. I stumbled onto Jesse. I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. Who is this person? I need to meet them. And coincidentally, Jesse was one day at Labyrinth taking footage without permission of me. And I remember looking at this guy with a beanie just running around like a maniac. And, I had and permission of the thought, store. Sure, but not of me, sir. And, and I remember kind of like never clicked, that never clicked in my head that I had seen a video with a guy very similar to that with red hair and all that. And I never thought it was Jesse. So point is, I find out that this person lives in DC and I asked to meet him. And from that point onwards, it's just kind of clicked for us. Um, and that's how I became part of Quackalope. That's how I became part of this industry. And I just, I couldn't be more excited and more energetic to just continue pursuing this wonderful space. One of the things, I was going to say two, there. <laughs> two quick comments on that. The video I was, was filming at the time was actually a documentary on Kathleen, who we mentioned uh, at Labyrinth. So if you search Labyrinth Games and Puzzles, you can check out where she started and, and sort of her story. Um, which is, I think, worthwhile to see, to see that store. And the other thing, Jan's a fantastic writer. It's why, I, uh, it's why we started working together is because I read his stuff and it was, it was really well done. Sorry for cutting you off there, though. No, no, no. I, I just cut across people is what I do, um, not just in, in this. Oh, yeah, they're all nodding. The, um, <laughs> one thing I was going to ask, I looked at your – now, I wouldn't have been as familiar with Philip. I've obviously not been to Washington, D.C. or anywhere, really. And the um, – you guys have got an incredible work ethic. I mean, you're producing good quality videos every three days or so. Um, I mean, there's about 115, 120 something videos on your site. How do you do it? I mean, how do you get that much quality work together in such a quick time? I'm thinking so, Red Bull. I'm thinking Red Bull. <laughs> originally, <laughs> originally it was. The secret is that we're actually half duck, so we're not entirely <laughs> human. Okay. Ah, it's a secret here. That's certainly part of it. In, in all seriousness, so I have, I have about seven or eight years worth of commercial videography experience. My career has been um, a freelance photographer and videographer. So I, I came into the industry about a year and a half ago knowing what it takes to produce and kind of knowing how to do it right. Um, and so I had a little bit of a head start in that sense. In terms of the output and the production, we produce an average of about three videos a week right now. Um, and a mix of those are shorter kind of flavor text. And a lot of those are longer, right for you, wrong for you, or gameplay or, or a mix of that. Um, there are a lot of steps I take when it comes to the actual production side of it that enable me to produce content quicker. Uh, for instance, I have a permanent studio set up in my one bedroom in DC um, that my cameras are locked off. My audio is locked off. I don't have to break down or set up anything other than the game itself whenever I'm ready to record. Um, I have an incredible gaming group, which it's been a little bit hard to, uh, to not have them around over the last few weeks. Um, that community and that gaming group here in DC has allowed me to table a lot of games. They've also been willing to come over on weekdays and evenings and, and sit in front of the camera like Philip did, helping me produce content more efficiently and more quickly. Um, and then the third part of that is I put in about 40 to 50 hours you know, a, a worth of work a week. Um, I, for a while, was balancing kind of my commercial photography business that I'd grown. Um, and it was 
stable enough that working part-time in it was able to maintain my, you know, my existence while I focused on Quackalope and sort of doubled down. Uh, the, the current, being an event photographer and videographer during the current state of the world uh, means that things have gotten significantly more complicated. But that being said, the choices that I've made over the last year and a half have always been to double down and invest in Quackalope. Um, and so that's what we're continuing to do. Uh, in fact, this last week, we've launched a Discord and started doing tabletop uh, gaming events, uh, online gaming events. And our community today with the video post has grown close to 300 in about a week. Um, so we are, you know, leveraging and continuing to invest in, in the people that I think are important. Wow. Yeah, I think that the reason that they've grown is because, of course, I joined the Discord and, and I've been helping. It's a that. large part of it. Yeah, yeah. that's exactly. Phillips I, I really large part. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, why, it's, it's why I keep coming back. Yeah. Do you want to? Sorry, Philip, I, I'll cut across you again. I'll wait until you start talking and then I'll cut across you. So well, you, you know, want to start? That, you know, it's nothing like, and this is why I, I spend so much time editing these podcasts. <laughs> There's a lot of cutting. No, um, I, I guess one of the questions that I've had, and I've never asked you this, is where does Quackalope come from? I mean, I'm I'm familiar with um, a jackalope. What? Uh, very funny. Um, there was a Disney cartoon or a Pixar cartoon with a jackalope. So that's Not familiar. I, okay, there you go. Um, but where did where did Quackalope come from? It's, it's, it's a rarely seen species of, uh, of waterfowl that lives here on the eastern part of the United States, um, shed their horns every, uh, you know, every, every winter to migrate down south. But I mean, it's, it's just an actual being and creature that exists here in the States. People hadn't really utilized it as a term or a brand for, for quite some time. We figured we'd pick it up. And one of the most fascinating things about this particular creature is that in recorded history, Jesse is the only person that has ever seen it in real life. But no, I no, no, I'm 100%. not the, I'm not the only, I mean, we're working on getting it into wingspan as an official uh, adaptation. <laughs> so Elizabeth Hargrave said, as long as we can get it into an official ornithological study, uh, she will approve it be a expansion when it comes over here. To the, uh, so, so Jesse, isn't, isn't it required for you to send photography of that? Right. So have you been able to document the, uh, the, the quackalope? We have, we have drawings. We have various pieces of art from people that have encountered quackalopes across the world. I mean, in, some interesting uh, facts uh-huh. about the quackalope. For instance, the, uh, the way the horns actually develop, so birds have little nubs on the end of their beak that allow them to actually break out of their shells. That's how they uh, start kind of the first cycle of their life. The quackalope is a bird that developed those in their horns. Those then grow since they're forest-dwelling creatures. They're waterfowl that live and hibernate in the forest. They start as a bright yellow during the spring to attract a mate and then turn into kind of an earthly brown or tan. Uh, coming into the fall. The horns are used for uh, mating. They show prominence and, and kind of persistence, but then they're also used for defense uh, since they burrow and nest in the, in the low, like low-lying forest brush. When you get into the, the winter, they actually shed their horns. That's why there's such a population boom or a perceived population boom of white-tailed deer here in the eastern United States. Um, those horns are actually very similar to that of the white-tailed deer. So you think that there's a lot of young bucks. It's actually just predominantly quackalopes mixed with that, that population study. They then uh, look like any other average duck as they migrate down, uh, down south for the entirety of the winter spring. And then when spring starts coming again, they start regrowing their, their bright yellow feathers and migrate back up into the eastern kind of Appalachians. But with all that being said, this is a board game channel, but I hope that you have enjoyed this scientific study of the quackalope. Now, having spent a lot of time in the American Southwest um, and having mm-hmm. searched up and down You've every canyon, them. No, well, I mean, quackalopes, as you said, are, are eastern seaboard, but jackalopes, which, of course, are... Never heard jack- of them. Yeah, see, you know, 
Jackrabbits with antlers. Um, you know, they're, so they're, they're very you, hard to find. But if you'd like me to answer in, in all seriousness, when we first, when I first started the channel Quackalope, we were trying to come up with a term that would be brandable and be able to like be defined and be defined by us. We were thinking through the standards, you know, uh, all offline gaming or, or, you know, dice tray or, you know, whatever mix of, of sort of generic terminology you could come with. Generic, mm. generic. We, oh, yeah, that's hmm. a great exactly. idea for maybe we should do a podcast. <laughs> that is a, that is a good <laughs> idea. Yeah. Uh, and so we were think we were trying to think through ideas like that. And none of them were really sticking. I think the one that we were leaning toward, other than Quackalope, was was something like all offline um, to indicate, you know, tabletop to indicate not being digital. But we were brainstorming a bunch of different things, and I, I have a tendency to buy up URLs when I think that there might be something useful in them. And so back. A couple of years ago, I bought the URL uh, ProductiveDucks.com because I liked the way it sounded. And we were working with a marketing firm here in DC, and I thought it could be a fun little branding experiment. So I told that to some friends. Uh, we somehow got onto the term of jackalopes, but of course, those are already used and branded everywhere. And a friend's wife kind of offhandedly mentioned, what about a, what about a quackalope? And it just sort of stuck. And then we did some Googling, some checking, and, and literally nothing else existed around the brand. I mean, I own quackalope at gmail.com. I own most of the social media. Um, there, is a, there is a beer company that makes a very specific IPA in Florida called the Quackalope. Um, and outside of that, the, the term literally didn't exist. And so as far as a marketing or branding idea, that opened the door for us to define the type of media we were creating. It's fun. It's silly. It's goofy. It, you know, it's memorable. But then it also means that as we grow, it takes longer for us to be identified in the board game space. But as we establish ourselves, people, we are able to define what Quackalope is from day one instead of something like all offline where we literally couldn't do things like the, the tabletop, like the, the online tabletop gaming that I'm doing currently because it wouldn't fit sure. under the brand. Sure. So, yeah. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. And, and wow. I think that's a great story. I mean, there's a lot of, I mean, the generic board game podcast, the way we came up with the name was kind of, we were trying a bunch of different names and we were throwing things around. And I said, well, why don't we just stick in as a holder to the generic board game generic. podcast? Yep. And it was like, and it's oh. Stuck. Yeah. <laughs> those, are, those are how some of the best names get made though. I like it. It's catchy. It stands out. Like, and it, it has a sense of humor, which is the pod, is the humor of the podcast, you know? Yeah. yeah. So. I'll ask you a quick question. And now I need to know my question. Now, the, what I was going to say is, you guys are obviously, yeah, no, I haven't been, I'm drinking coffee. My question to you is, uh, what is the best thing? You obviously have, you know, fantastic enthusiasm, both you guys, like, for this, and you can see it, you know, you, you, you smile with all your face um, when you talk about games. But what's the best thing and the worst thing about your job, if we can call it a job? Jen? Oh, that's easy, Jesse. Oh, <laughs> okay. Yeah. The best and the worst. I love it. Yeah. Next okay. question. Next question. No, no, seriously. So, um, right now, to me, and I know this is going to sound a little bit corny, but I think the hardest thing about Quackalope right now is that I'm not able to do it 40 hours a week like Jesse. Honestly, mm -hmm. it's I go to sleep every day thinking of what I can do to help Jesse. I wake up every day trying to be as, produc as productive as I can in order to help Jesse. And like really my goal right now in life is to try and build Quackalope alongside Jesse so that we can both transition into this 100%. Um, what I love specifically about this industry is, is you, the people, 
the, the individuals, all the amazing connections and conversations and just general experiences that I've had. Um, just the other, just a few months ago, we went over to Pax Unplugged and I felt like a kid in a candy store because it was, well, actually that's not even the right, the right expression. It was more, I felt like I was walking alongside um, like a celebrity almost because Jesse had been pouring so much effort into make, into knowing people uh, originally at Origins. And when it got to Pax, we saw that face to face, all that effort immediately, immediately was effective everywhere. People were coming up to Jesse saying hi. And they were like, who's this bald guy? Ah, whatever. Hey, Jesse, how are you doing? <laughs> and it just kept going and going. And me, personally, I was to the side and Jesse was talking to designers and publishers, and I was just giddy with excitement because one of the things that I like well, to do- Well, these are our I, heroes. Yeah, exactly. And, and when, one of the things that I like to do whenever I get into a hobby is that I like to learn about the individuals behind things. I like to know who's responsible for making my game and who's responsible for making this decision about this particular design element. I find that all fascinating. And so- being face-to-face -face with all these people in, a, in, a, in an environment where we were all just people blew my mind completely, completely and utterly. And from that point onwards, I, I was already 100% invested in Quacko by then. There, there's a reason why, why Jesse invited me over and calls me, calls me co-host because we have become partners in this. But it was when I started actually discovering that, hey, it's not just Jesse that's like a really cool, genuine person. It's apparently it's everybody in this industry. And this is amazing. These are the type of people that I've always dreamt of being alongside. Um, and that's really one of my main drives besides the games, besides the innovation and the wonderful immensity of this hobby. It's the people behind it that get me this enthusiastic every time. So as far as my answer goes, my answer is also going to be Jan. But not in the same way that he answered. He answered as a joke that was directed that I'm both the best and the worst portion of his experience, right? Jan's hand, hands down probably the thing I'm the most grateful for from Quackalope. If Quackalope stopped right now, he would be the lasting relationship I would have, um, which is awesome, right? Like he has become my closest friend, um, which is genuinely something that I didn't expect and wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for launching and building a community-focused platform uh, does, you know, and, and something that he wanted to be involved in. So I'm incredibly grateful for that. The hardest part is going to mirror and echo a bit of what Jan said. Transitioning in the board game industry to be full-time full is significantly harder than any other industry I've, I've built a business in before. Um, it is hard to figure out where to get community support. It's hard to figure out who to charge contracts to and, and what the correct price is when it comes to like billing for media work. Um, it's hard to convince companies that don't have a big bottom line to start with that the type of content we do into the scale and quality we do is worth it, right? I come from a different commercial sector, section where the price on my time is worth significantly more, which is why I was able to work half time as a commercial photographer. Uh, in my other business and still survive enough to build Quackalope at the same time. The goal for both of us is to be here permanently. The question mark in that and the, the idea has always been that that'll take about five years, um, which still seems to be the case. And we're, we're okay with that. But the balance over the next three to four years, because we've already been in it for about a year and a half, is 
making sure that we can stand and continue to do the work we're doing, continue to put in the 40, 50 hours a week so that we can make it for five years so that we can be here, you know, as a staple. I'd just like to, um, sorry to say that uh, Philip is not my uh, best friend. And in <laughs> fact, he's way down along this right below, um, just below actually. You've gone up a little bit. The chihuahua that I really hate and uh, <laughs> the chihuahua that I did consider eating by lunchtime the first day of the lockdown, the coronavirus, even though we had a lot of food. But look, don't let that discourage you. Philip, you're about to say. I, uh, you know, whatever I was about to say was just <laughs> blown away by that comment. No, I was, uh, it was really actually nice meeting you, Jan, at uh, PAX Unplugged. I think it's the first place we've actually met. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I agree. In fact, our, our previous guest um, that we had uh, on the previous podcast, uh, Rachel Blasquet of um, 524 Studios. 524, yeah. Yeah, 524 Studios <clears throat> that makes Mint Works and so forth. Um, you know, her big comment was she was just impressed by the people. And, and in fact, one of the things I like about the board gaming hobby is that with, with some exceptions, but they're thankfully very few everybody's pretty much down to earth i just want to play board games and have a good time and and just meet other people you know uh you know it's something about existing in a social a space that demands social interaction for the most part seems to weed out and facilitate people that can get along yeah you know yeah and somehow vic has been in the the, in the board gaming hobby for a long time but you know there's always exceptions i've heard he plays a lot of i've heard he plays a lot of solo games yeah, that's, that's, that's not true. It's just I keep recycling the people that uh, I play against, you know, and they probably think this time around they won't be as bad. I was wrong. He was. <laughs> but, uh, I had to start a whole board game convention to get people that hadn't played diplomacy against me. <laughs> me it's like the black industry, you need fresh blood constantly. Um, yeah. But no, look, it's all a lie. And the one thing I I totally agree with what you say there is that as a general rule, the world over and the the cons have been at and so on, people tend to be nice. People tend to be respectful um, and they just want to have a good time. And they will work to have a good time and they will not complain and they will put up with things. And they're a nice bunch of people, you know. And the other thing I would say is you guys probably know this. Everyone knows this as you get a little bit older. You connect at a certain level with people. You don't mm-hmm. learn their problems. You know, you got a bunch of people sitting around the table that are shooting the breeze and having fun. And the game is a, it's like a catalyst for all that to happen. But it's mm-hmm. it's a lovely kind of an interaction and a lovely kind of camaraderie. Um, that's what I'm in the game for. No, absolutely. And uh, and I appreciate you guys bringing that up because that's kind of a a message that's that we're hearing a lot. You know, as we talk to people, as as we bring guests on, uh, it's the people, and and also we hear that it's hard to make money in this industry as well. It's part um, of the dance. Yeah. So you had talked about a a, a five year time frame, which you know certainly is very reasonable and well thought out. Um, obviously, uh, the the uh, the pandemic has caused us all change our plans a little bit, and you know if I if I understand your post correctly. Uh, you're probably going to be leaving the DC area for a little bit of time to to go to cheaper. Havens. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't initially about a month and a half ago expect to be to be leaving the DC area. Um, that's been that's been a new adaption. I my 
I am Quackalope full-time right now uh, against my own will <laughs> because, I mean, realistically, the, the event work that I did, the, you know, took, took years to build that business. Um, and you make the majority of your money in that type of business over the six months of summer, right? So we just came off winter. Uh, I had money saved to get me through kind of the slow season. I knew that. I was expecting that. Um, and then the amount of canceled contracts, uh, I lost, I lost about $7,000 worth of canceled event contracts, um, in March alone mm. and everything in the foreseeable future was also pulled. Most of the wedding industry has delayed until at least October, um, if not beyond. And so, you know, my, the four or five months where I make my living, um, doesn't exist right now. So my rent in DC cannot justify itself. Alongside of that, unless I, I sought out or, or took another full-time job, which would make Quackalope near impossible. So I am going back to Kentucky. Um, it's about an eight-hour drive, and I'll be making that drive at least once a month to pick Jan up, bring him back for a weekend so we can film a stockpile of 10 or 12 videos and then drop him back off in D.C. So we have thought about how he will continue to be um, integral to the, uh, to the channel. But it's, it's sort of an adjustment. Like I, like I said earlier in the show, um, the tr- I this isn't the first challenge I've had over the last year and a half. Life is full of, of weird twists and turns and challenges. And, and every step of the way, we've decided to double down on, on building what we have. Um, and so it's what we're doing again. We're, we're adjusting to what degree we can and, and continuing to press forward. Well, we wish you good luck on that. And uh, it, it's tough. I mean, it, it's tough to move. And The know, industry I- as a whole is going to be feeling it. I mean, I've lost big contracts in the past that made me more nervous than what this current state of the world is. Uh, because when I, lost, when I lost work in the past, I was really the only person losing it. Um, right now, there's a lot of people that are feeling the sting ac- across the industry and across you know, a, a spectrum of other industries. And so um, people understand the adjustments we're making. Um, they relate to them. They can, they can quantify them. They, they respect kind of the choices we have to make in order to survive. And, um, and I think people are going to be going to be balancing out. I think we're going to come out of it fine. It's just a matter of time and kind of making it through that process. So I think personally it's delayed my exotic dancing career, but look, it's something I have to live with. You still do private shows though, right? Uh, well, you know, I do. Yeah. And I have to say, <laughs> I think you'd be a very <laughs> successful uh, exotic dancer. Definitely. Yeah. Well, well, thank you very much. And you know, I appreciate that. And it is true. Um, Philip, you're, you've got your head in your hands there. So. <laughs> you know, fortunately, this is an audio podcast. There's no video. And so the, uh, I was on mute, so you didn't have to hear the retching that I was going through <laughs> yeah, listening to that previous conversation. Um, is, is, is there anything, you know, anything else that you guys think that you might be doing in the future that might be a little bit different, other things that you've added on. I mean, you've talked about adding Discord uh, to, to have more community engagement. You have a Patreon. Um, I mean, obviously the move is gonna delay things somewhat, but what are some of the other things that you're thinking about doing in the future? Well, Jesse, you want me to take this one a little bit? You can answer some, yeah. Yeah, so th- thank you so very much for allowing me to do this. You thing. asked, you. I, said, I said, sure. <laughs> I, I'm kind of curious to see what you're gonna say. I'm always full of ideas. Oh, no, no, definitely. So, so we have this really interesting dynamic where I think I came up with something genius. And when I tell Jesse, he's like, oh, yeah, I have that plan for, for five years now. Yep. I, I've, I've known about that for, for forever now. So, so it's really interesting how I always get very excited. And apparently Jesse has always, always has it jotted down somewhere. But anyways, 
Um, we are actually planning a bunch of different things. One of the first things that we've already kind of started moving towards besides building this community um, is trying to get more bidding content, trying to get more, more involvement in the different sectors and the different digital sectors that we've established. We, we're trying to build up our website as a, as a home base of all things Quackalope. Uh, we're trying to build our social media circles as an announcement platform. And then we're using Discord as an area of engagement, right, where people can, dis can converse, et cetera. Beyond that, um, in, in the essence of trying to get new participants into each one of these different circles, um, we're going to delve very soon into podcasting. Um, I'm, I'm going to be heading that uh, endeavor myself, actually. So, Phil, I'm going to be uh, probably taking some notes from you. <laughs> so that we can run it as efficiently as possible. He's stepping um, into your territory, Phil. I'm so sorry. I, I was going to say, if you kind of look at us more as a lighthouse and, and think about what you want to avoid, <laughs> exactly, you probably do, do very well indeed. Yeah. yeah, don't do what don't do what we do. Um, but we we don't have anything official or announced yet. But the the concept around the podcast ideas that we have kind of circulating that we're we're actually testing them with the patreon community at the moment and they're designed around not they're designed around around not being interview based not being um as you know similar to the podcast shows that are already out there there's a lot mm -hmm. that i already listen to and i don't i don't want to try to just replicate what's what's been out there so we have some short format podcasts that we're working on we're thinking of some different applications of bringing board game media to an audio form um, we're not quite sure what that's going to look like yet that's really good. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to talk to the nice people about? We have, I mean, what's our following now? We must be up to seven, seven, eight. eight. It was eight. It was eight a month ago. So, so, probably so eight I'm, now. <laughs> I'm expecting at least three subscribers from this. Then I'll, I'll be keeping an eye out for the bump. I think keep reaching for that. Yeah. I, um, it, it really depends. I mean, I have, I have long-term dreams. Like if, if I want to give you one of my like uh, way out in the, uh, in the ether type of dreams sure. is because my background for the past, you know, quite a few years has been documentary style videography. Um, we've test ran some stuff when it comes to the free features that we've done uh, profiles on artists, profiles on game designers, profiles on stores like Labyrinth Games and Puzzles. Um, I would love to get to the point where the Patreon and the, the community around the, the site enable me to spend more time doing those longer format or those more, more stylized documentary type pieces. Um, for instance, there's, there's going to be a wall of, uh, of game shops that are going to have to figure out how to recover and build community after this whole cycle of things is done. And I'm not sure how long this cycle will take, but when it is done, there will be game stores and those game stores will need to figure out ways to connect to their hometown. Right. And so mm -hmm. I'd love to, I'd love to be in a financial position to go on a, a couple month road trip and go do documentary video of, 12 different stores each in a location that is is worth shouting about to give them leverage to give them something they don't have um i'd love the opportunity to uh five years from now go on a designer tour profile a design you know with a big company like awaken realms from you know from ground zero the whole way up to completion right filming the behind the scenes and the the designer credits and talking with artists and production and kickstarter launches and it, it really depends that it's such a small marketplace that the way we get to that and it's accessible. The way we get to that is 500 people backing us on Patreon for $5 each or, mm -hmm. you know, a thousand or whatever that barrier is. But it's, it's a much more accessible number than people realize because I don't need 10 million people to, to be able to do that. But I, knew, but I do need a thousand. Yeah. And a, a thousand will take five years to build. But when we're there, I think we'll be able to do some really cool things. And that's what I'm hoping for. 
How about uh, yourself? What do you think? I guess I would say that for long-term goals, as, as I've already stated, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to being able to do this uh, in the entirety. And, and my hopes and aspirations for Quackalope um, go far beyond just a media coverage site. We, we have a lot of ideas, both Jesse and I, um, and we're actually, at least we like to think, that we're uh, great at kind of uh, brainstorming together and coming up with different concepts and different ideas around games themselves. So one of the real far-reaching goals that we have, and I think it's going to be one of the most ambitious, is that we at one point want to try our hands of being designers, uh, co-designers together, and try and develop some, some titles that we're excited about and that we can get others excited about and that hopefully bring some, some type of new innovation or or different thinking to kind of like the uh familiar genres that we all know and love currently the so odds are we'll thing. completely fail at that but it's worth oh, a try oh, of course yeah a yeah. hundred yeah. percent i'm counting on it but i still want to say that i did it you know mm-hmm. um so so i'm excited for at least trying it out um and yeah and, and like i said i'm very excited about building up that podcast i think it can be really entertaining and, and really, um, what would be the word, inspiring in a, in a, in a personal sense, having mm-hmm. being able to, to really lead a portion of the brand uh, that much forward, um, to me is, is, is a huge achievement um, from, from where I started in Quackalope to where I'm going to be now. Besides just being Jesse's co-host, I want to also be an active participant in the creation of content that people look forward to. Um, <laughs> So yeah, I'm I'm just excited for the future. <laughs> in I, all I, honesty, I I do think that every gamer has a game in them, um, and like uh, every author has a book in them. But it's kind of a case with gaming that you you want to only some people can take the pain of having it removed and brought to the public. Um, and it is a tough one. Like uh, talking to Rachel yesterday from um, from uh, Lab Twenty Four Lab. Uh, like the the difficulties and so on in that it's not to put people off or whatever i i, I really admire anybody who is going to go that path and, and deliver a game it, it it's a tough one philip what have you got to say uh i just want to thank you know jesse and jan for agreeing to come on our little silly podcast uh, we really appreciate it i really appreciate uh, the quality work that you guys do and i appreciate the eth- enthusiasm it's it's quite infectious you know i wish you know, part of me wishes that I was a slightly different part of my life where I could go on an adventure like that. But my family, my my financial commitments require me to have a day job that pays very well. And me, uh, me being in a point in my life where I can, I can. The reason I had a five to six year plan was so that I could build something that would allow me to to be where you are now when I'm when it's my time for that. Right? There's right. a time and place for for everything. So, mm-hmm. no, I, I just, I'm, I'm really impressed and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm somewhat envious, quite frankly, cause I wish I had more time to work on the podcast and, and I do, I am working on trying to design two separate games and just getting the time and with all my other responsibilities, it's just, it, it gets really hard. So. Well, when they're, when they're ready, I'll have a platform. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Good one. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but now I want to thank you all for, for coming on our show and, and making time available for us. Uh, we really appreciate it. And for those uh, that want to contact you, Jesse and Jan, what are the best ways to get a hold of you? Quackalope literally, literally everywhere. Um, 
Q U A C K A L O P E, and it would be whatever social media or whatever kind of their preferred preferences. Um, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube's our main our main channel. Uh, Patreon and Discord are our main um, community hubs. Um, but any of those any of those resources will lead directly back to either of us. That's excellent. And for those that are looking to talk to me and see what it's like to be an old bitter man, uh, I can be reached at the at board game rabbi on Twitter. I am found uh, on Facebook. I thought you were still talking about co-host. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 this one's me. Uh, you can also reach me at the board game group where I'm one of the 18 administrators and I'm on a wide variety of social media, but you can, you can eventually find me. Vic, where can they find you besides the post office wall? The uh, yeah, the, the wanted poster. The um, you can find me if you look for Navecon. That's K N A V E C O N. Um, that's probably the best place to start. You'll find me if you go looking on anywhere. Facebook is my main thing. Um, and I want to say thank you very much, guys, for coming in. Not that you came in, but you know what I mean. Um, and you're some cool dudes, and I really enjoyed chatting to you this evening. You got a lot of interesting things, and you got such enthusiasm for the gaming. It's it's, it's lovely. It is infectious. Probably a bad term at the moment, but <laughs> yeah, um, you, know, you uh, as I said, everyone here is just like there's such an energy in it, and yeah, it sounds really kind of spiritual. Um, but and as we always like to say before we sign off, always be gaming. Always be gaming. Take care and thank you guys. <laughs>